Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode. I'm here today with Sam McAfee, who's a leadership and product development coach and consultant and advisor at Startups Patterns, uh, his consulting company. Sam, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Glad that you can make it. And actually, I'm really happy about the conversation we are going to have today because Sam helps uh, companies become agile, product-focused, and develop high-performing teams. And I'm really curious to uh, know about your experiences in, or in the role of the product strategy in helping a company make such a transformation. And what are the important things that product leaders in these environments need to take into account and need to communicate to make these successful transformations. But before we jump into that, uh, maybe to get, get to get to know you better, uh, if you can tell us about uh, a bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, I can give a little bit of my background, which might make the things that I say make a little more sense in context. Um, so I, I come out of the software engineering side of the house. Um, I've been in technology development for 22, 23 years, something like that. Um, so I started as a, as a web developer in the dot-com boom way back around 99, 2000, the, the crazy days. And um, yeah, I've, I've had the, the opportunity to work in a lot of different company environments, largely because the, the first uh, big chunk of my career was as a consultant, first as a, as a freelancer, then having my own web development uh, or software development consulting shop. And that then, of course, requires you to work for a lot of different clients uh, doing different projects and seeing how people were building digital products in a lot of, a lot of those different environments. So the, the pattern matching that comes from being a consultant is really useful because you can see how people are doing it and, and where the mistakes are being made. Um, and I got into software development around the same time that Agile was becoming really popular. Um, and, you know, I, I think for, for many of us in the tech industry and in product and engineering uh, and design now, it's easy to think of Agile as fairly ubiquitous, uh, even if uh, I, I would firmly say that not everyone's doing it or not everyone's doing it right, but everyone's talking about it. And so, you know, nearly every company at least claims to be agile or thinks they're doing agile or, or just starting to say that they want to try it. That, you know, it wasn't always that way. It's been 20, 25, you know, 30 years, depending on how you measure it. And when I started developing products, um, you know, as a developer, agile was not popular. It was not common. It was very new. And so I remember the old days and I remember how we used to work under waterfall with lots of big requirements documents. And so I, I consider myself lucky that very early on uh, agility became something that, you know, some of my engineer friends pointed out to me and um, I've been involved in that scene, you know, almost since the beginning. Those fundamentals and engineering quality really stuck with me. Um, so that's kind of where I come from professionally uh, through the process of developing this consulting agency, um, I learned a lot about startups. And over time, I started to get exposed to uh, the ideas in 
product management and specifically uh, when lean startup started to become a thing, um, you know, it, it immediately seemed obvious to me that that was a really important movement that as, as an engineer and as an owner of this development shop who'd led a lot of projects uh, building really good code that nobody ever really wanted and that didn't necessarily <laughs> go anywhere for our clients. Um, I viscerally felt the pain of not having talked to customers first. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when a buddy of mine turned me on to Steve Blank's book, The Four Steps, of the, um, it, it was immediately obvious. It was like a lightning rod, forehead smack. You're like, oh, <laughs> all this time we should have been doing this because we've written many lines of code that probably never should have been written. And so um, I, I was an early adherent to that philosophy in, you know, startups and product development right away. And so um, combining that with agile has just been sort of the way that I've worked ever since. And those methods have have gained a lot of popularity, but I think many organizations really struggle to actually use them to their full advantage um, due to a lot of historical and structural reasons we can talk about in more detail. Um, yeah, just to round up the background, uh, after that agency, I had a, a couple of uh, about four different roles as a senior technology uh, leader in a couple of different organizations. And so I got to see a lot of failure, a lot of struggles, a lot of, you know, sort of organizational wrangling, uh, a lot of attempts at transformations, whether it's sort of a broad digital transformation or a product mindset transformation or uh, some sort of lean or agile transformation, like they all have the same patterns, right? Like they're all like, you know, we've decided that, you know, we're having some problems with our business. You know, there are some methodologies we want to put in place. And so we're going to try to go through this usually multi-year process of transforming the organization to be, be better, be something, be more this, more that. Um, And it's really hard. And a lot of them fail and some of them fail uh, in a very subtle way where it's sort of just like the initiative fades away and we don't actually make any progress, but it takes a long time. So people kind of forget and they don't really notice. Some of them fail really catastrophically, you know, and entire business units need to be shut down or the company goes out of business like that. That does happen too. So it's tricky stuff and it's important to get it right. And so, um, you know, in the last uh, few years since I started my company, Startup Patterns, um, We've been focused more and more on the people side of product development and transformation. And what I mean by that is in order to develop good products and and be a successful company, it's really about people and teams and communication and everyone having a clear sense of purpose. Um, And frankly, like that's what Agile was originally all about, right? It was people and interactions over processes and tools. They didn't lead with the process part, <laughs> even though most people who you know, purport to train in Agile, they start with the process. And I think that's absolutely backwards, you know, even according to the manifesto. Um, but so, so we, we're more over time getting into how can we create the right environment in the organization for these methods that we want to try uh, to actually take hold and be successful. 
Because um, a lot of times it's actually the organization itself, its structure, the reporting structure, the incentives that people have, the way that our culture operates in the company, that those are the things that are getting in our way of being more agile and being more product-led. Yeah, so I think that's why we're here. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I can think about so many uh, questions I can ask about those, those transformation processes that's super interesting. But luckily, this uh, podcast has a super narrow focus and we will focus on product strategy. I think it's going to be interesting anyway. So, okay. <laughs> um, and, and maybe, yeah, to, maybe to, to build that connection between your background and what you are doing with, with the focus that we are trying to, to make today, uh, I would like to know in, in, in your experience, uh, what is the relationship of the or the role of the product strategy in these uh, product-led or actual transformations? Um, maybe what experience you have had in, in recent uh, years? Sure, sure. So I think the first way to begin to answer that question is probably to isolate the question of product-led. But just keeping it simple, a normal for-profit organization, uh, a company, um, is trying to uh, pursue some particular purpose of creating value for a customer segment. Um, and the exchange of value helps the organization uh, make money so that they can reinvest in their growth and continue to deliver that value uh, in perpetuity, uh, presumably getting better at it, higher quality products delivered faster, and so on. So basically optimizing for delivering value for a particular customer segment. It's definitely noticeable these days that nearly every company's got some kind of digital aspects. They're all doing software, you know, even if it's like a manufacturing company or a consumer goods company, like everybody's got like a website or an e-commerce platform or like some sort of API that you can plug into or they're making use of big data. So all of the normal companies um, have had software kind of leak in and then building software products actually becomes a discipline that we need to think about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I mean, obviously Mark Andreessen made that famous quip about software is eating the world. Like it's been a while. Software is already done eating the world. And so <laughs> uh, now we're being digested and um, it's important to take these digital product development principles very seriously because now they're first and foremost at the front of your business in, in most cases, like, any way that you interact with customers, no matter what you make and sell, it's going to have some sort of digital aspect. And so the companies that have picked up on that and are taking digital product development very seriously as a first-class skill or discipline they need to have in their company, I would consider them to be product-led or product-focused. Yeah. And there are still many that are around that, are, that tend to be more old-fashioned uh, traditional companies that have only started to scratch the surface in how software and digital technologies play a role in their business. And, and those companies tend to think of uh, IT. They use the phrase IT, which mm -hmm. is usually yeah. an indicator that they're not product <laughs> the <red> flag. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So they think of information technology as a cost center, basically an unfortunate mm -hmm. and necessary cost to keep all the real business going, right? So they haven't really embraced digital as something that's that important. Um, and so those companies have de very different patterns. And I think we, we could talk about both and we could talk about them separately. I think for the companies that are, that are already on board with being product-led, 
the next, like having made that decision is already a big step in the right direction. I think the next problem that they typically have is one of, of strategy. Um, and I think for me, where, where that plays a role is mostly around focus, right? So, so strategy is one of those words that everybody says, but very few people actually understand what it means or like what a good strategy looks like. Um, there's lots of books on it. They're available. They're not that hard to read. I would recommend doing that if you're interested in strategy because uh, it's actually more simple than I think it seems. And the way that we talk about it at Startup Patterns is um, we have this concept that we like to talk about called a, a strategy stack. Um, we're certainly not the only ones who use that term, but we mean it in a particular way. And basically there's, there's different layers to your strategy. So in our strategy stack is just three layers and we talk about a business strategy being the key, uh, the sort of first component. And then from there, you would have a product strategy that would be an enabler of that business strategy. Mm -hmm. And those two would, would intertwine and there would be a lot of collaboration and communication between how you set those up. And then the third layer would be your technology strategy that would then further support the product strategy, which supports the business strategy. So all three layers are working in concert. Um, and they really have to be thought about and developed both independently and in communication with each other, you know, ideally in some sort of iterative process, right? So your, your technology strategy is going to affect the feasibility of what you want to do. And so folks who are in charge of those different strategies need to be communicating and make sure they're in alignment, right? So for a business strategy, really, um, that, you know, that's focusing on, you know, what what is your purpose as a business? I mean, it really, uh, I think even before you start developing a strategy, you have to make sure that you're clear on the core uh, mission, vision, and values, like sort of the identity and purpose mm -hmm. of your, your company. Every company is a system and a system must have a purpose. It must mm -hmm. do something, produce value for these customers or try to solve this big complicated world problem or whatever it is. Um, Presumably, the company has those things in place, or if, it, if it's a newer company or they're reinventing themselves in some way, they're going through the process of defining those mission, that mission, the vision of the future that they want to create, and the values that they use in order to create that vision. Um, and so those things will help inform a strategy. Now, I've said the word strategy probably 25 times, and I haven't defined <laughs> it. So let me do that now. So basically... In its simplest form, a strategy is a plan of action that assumes you can't do everything at once. So it's really about what you say no to, what you decide not to do, right? Of a, of a wide range of options, you have to pick a particular path through mm -hmm. the territory to get to your goal. So, um, you know, strategy, of course, I think most of us would, would recognize it as coming really from you know, sort of military history and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. It's kind of a thing that we think about in terms of, you know, um, military battles. And that's a, that's a reasonable metaphor to use to think about it in terms of business strategy, which is simply that, you know, there's some objective that you need to meet and there's territory in front of you that you have to cross in order to meet that objective. And there's a lot of uncertainty in the territory and you don't have perfect information. And so every organization has some amount of resources at its disposal 
and there are some constraints or limitations on how you can deploy those resources. And so a strategy is basically picking uh, one or maybe a couple, a small number of scenarios of how you might deploy those resources in a particular order or particular configuration, mm -hmm. given the limits and constraints that you have that might be most likely to achieve the goal. Yeah. And all of that, assuming that uh, making sure you understand that you don't really know, right? So you start working with a strategy and sometimes they fail and you have to change your strategy and you shouldn't be like changing it every week. But there's also the, the idea that, that like a plan, uh, plans are, are useful, but, but immediately have to be thrown out the window as soon as the real world arrives. Yeah. Um, you know, strategies are, are very similar that you have them kind of in place for a period of time and you attempt to deploy resources and achieve the goal as much as you can. And as data is coming in about whether the strategy is being successful or not, you might have to change the strategy. So in, in, to be a little more concrete with our, with our customers, our clients, we're talking about who do you sell to? What are their problems? What solutions can you build to solve those problems? Given the people that you have, the the financing in your company, the you know resources at your disposal, mm -hmm. you know any intellectual property you may have developed or technical capabilities, um, those things can all be put on the table and discussed openly about how do we best deploy those resources. So, product strategy specifically, for me, is really about given a certain business strategy that's been developed. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna tackle this market segment. We're gonna be in this particular uh, domain. So we we you know we sell uh, you know uh, you know apparel to uh, millennial uh, you know people. Um, you know we've identified a particular you know in a particular region of the world mm -hmm. maybe like we've identified a market segment. We produce you know uh, apparel. I mean I'm not an expert in you know apparel, <laughs> but I've sort of grabbed one example out of the air. Um, you know, you might have an approach to, to how you do that. And I think the other thing to think about, and then I'll, I'll stop talking and, and the next question. The, the other thing about strategy also is always remember that it's in a competitive landscape. So mm -hmm. the, the key thing is if you have a goal uh, in our world when you're doing business, you're usually not the only one, right? Like that's sort of how our markets work. And mm -hmm. so – if you're, you have a goal, there are other organizations that are also trying to achieve that goal. Um, and, and there is some limitation on the size of the market, right? Usually, you're in a market. There's only so many of those people. They only have so much money. And there's a total addressable market. And so other organizations are competing for that market share. And whether or not you're successful as an organization, both in being able to deliver that value to the customer and make them happy and have them come back and get more and also keep your employee, excuse me, employees employed and happy and keep the organization healthy depends on how you operate relative to your competitors. Mm -hmm. So strategy always has a competition component, whether it's explicit or in the background. Mm -hmm. um, you have to keep that in mind of how you're going to operate and differentiate yourself from the other options that are available to your customers for solving the same problem. Yeah. So for yeah. me, that's really what product strategy is all about. That's interesting. I have two follow-up questions. The first one is you mentioned this strategy stack, the technology strategy. And I'm wondering if that's uh, related to 
the let's say the components we will build to deliver our product, or is more like the capabilities like I don't know A/B testing or, or something like that. So, in, in which terms do you define the, the technology strategy? I would actually include both of those, right? Like I I would think about that those both being part of the technology strategy. It's important to remember that we don't want too much separation between product and engineering and design. You know, so just make sure that all of our friends at the product trio, as Teresa Torres would say, you know, they're, they're all happy and they're all at the table. So, look, design, product, and engineering, they're all um, sort of peers, ideally, uh, first-class uh, citizens in the product development world. And so we need to balance all of those things. And so that's why a, a dialogue between those thinking through a product strategy and those thinking through a technology strategy that will support it has, has to be ongoing and iterative. Mm -hmm. um, and so to speak more specifically to what you're saying, you know, a product strategy may identify opportunities that we want to pursue. We believe that they might, you know, enjoy more of this, you know, value stream if we were to make some sort of intelligent kind of AI-driven recommendations. When they buy a product, we might suggest another product that would go really well with that product, right? Like we've mm -hmm. all used Amazon. We know how this yep. works, right? So like then if, if, you, if you believe that that's an important differentiator for mm -hmm. your product compared to other competitors that are out there, then the next question is what does it take to actually build that component? And does our technology organization have that skill, have those technologies in place to be able to do it. And I'm not saying that because if you don't, you somehow should write it off and not do it. Uh, maybe you still do it. Then the question is, well, if you don't have those capabilities, how do you build them, right? And there's, there's a cost uh, associated with putting those capabilities into place. Mm -hmm. And that's back to the strategy definition. That's when we're talking about the deployment of resources, right? Yeah. So we have these engineers. Maybe some of them are familiar with uh, we might maybe we don't have a data science department yet, but like some of them are familiar with machine learning and maybe they did some AI stuff at another job. So even if your organization's never done anything in AI, um, and I picked a particular thorny and difficult area, uh, not on purpose, but but let's say that like you want to dabble in that and see if you can add some AI as a differentiator in your product, then that means that you would have to set aside part of the engineering apparatus to explore, develop, integrate, acquire, whatever it is, that AI capability, which means they can't be doing other things that your yep. product strategy also requires, right? So if the product strategy includes, um, you know, you collaborate with UX and you decide that our design is terrible and customers can't use our product, so we have to overhaul the entire design system, well, that's going to take a lot of resources as well. So now we have a bind because engineers and designers and product managers all have to be involved in all three in both of those two possible scenarios yeah. because look AI isn't just an engineering only effort like it has a user interface usually yeah. it has uh, product implications there's costs associated with it um, so that's you know something that needs to be cross-functionally looked at and, of course, overhauling a design is something that needs to be cross-functionally looked at. So now you've got a limited engineering team, and you've got these two possible initiatives of, do, you know, do we overhaul the design or do we add this AI capability? That's where your strategy comes into play, right? So depending on 
what kind of strategy you have thought about, or maybe this is actually a component of your technology strategy, but basically how those things fit together, your business plan, your product thinking, how, what different ways you can uh, add differentiation to your products, and then looking at the technology capabilities, can we even do this mm-hmm. with the people that we have now? If we can't, what's it going to cost us to do it? And putting all that together, you're going to come out with some probability, some result mm-hmm. that favors one direction maybe over another. Uh, maybe if your team is big enough, you can do both of them. But I think that's something that you would discover yeah, so by looking at your resources and your limitations. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I understand the, the technology strategy now. Um, one thing that I believe you didn't answer in my first question is the the role in the transformation. So let's say that we are in a company that is yeah. now betting in this transformation to, to let's say, be product-led or how we want to call it. Um, yeah. What? How do you see that? I mean... The, For sure, you have seen that there are many different needs to make this transformation happen. What is yeah. the role of the product strategy in, in this game of transformation? You know, an organization that has decided that they need to be more product-minded or product-led has identified that they're not currently mm-hmm. product-led, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, so what are they, right? Like, like, so when you look at an organization, how do you know whether it's product-led or not? Right. And so you might you might see that traditionally, like they have some software, maybe they have some products or things that customers can use. Maybe there's a website, maybe it's got capabilities, maybe customers can, uh, you know, do their banking online or whatever industry we're in. Right. Like there's some capabilities, but those products were often like built by a vendor and sort of installed, you know, like we didn't use our own software engineers. Maybe we don't even have any software engineers, right? To, to be a product-led organization, it means that you are internally developing your own products and that you're, you're committed to building all the capabilities in your organization that that would require, which is good product management, good UX uh, and human-centered design, and good software engineering skills and all the infrastructure and DevOps that stands behind that and supports it. So you would need to have all that in place. And so I think the first question is, you know, are, are those people there? And if they're not, are the people that you have interested in shifting to those roles? So really like transformation is often about changing people's jobs. Right. Like when it really comes down to it. Okay. Like your organization has people in it. Those people are organized in a particular structure and org Mm -hmm. chart where you have, you know, leaders of different departments, your CFO, your COO. Um, So first of all, you know, who are the people that you have and are they empowered and incentivized to actually build out a product led organization? Right. Mm -hmm. Have you hired a chief product officer? That's a good question to ask. <laughs> Is there a CTO? Does the CTO sort of embrace modern agile and modern DevOps and modern sort of ways of building software? Um, and, you know, those are questions. And then, and then the other question to ask is what, what is the current organization structure and what are the processes in place for producing internally developed digital products? Mm-hmm. And what's going to have to change, right? So a lot will have to change usually. And 
that means changing people's jobs, right? And so this is where a lot of organizations start to go wrong and go completely off the rails. And the biggest source of failure is they don't take into account how hard it is to retrain people and reorganize them. Like how impact, let me restate that, how much of an impact it has on the organization in terms of throughput and morale and employee retention. So I just actually republished uh, an article I wrote maybe a year ago uh, called The Dreaded Reorg, which is about like, you know, companies that are having reorgs all the time. But the main point is that transformation is an investment in your future. It's Mm -hmm. not free. Mm -hmm. You don't just get to transform while still doing all the other stuff that you're doing, right? So I think where product strategy really intersects with transformation is that it should call out that the act of transforming itself is a huge project that requires intention, communication of why are we doing this and making sure people understand, uh, patience, uh, a lot of resources in retraining and hiring new people and sort of job and process transformation where you have to be careful and delicate about do, do people who have worked there and are now having to work in a new way understand what the impact is going to be on their job. I'll just tangent for a second that I've, I've seen one too many organizations in the last few years where by the time we arrive, there's a whole bunch of, of product owners um, who a mere like six months or a year before had a completely different job title. And then they were told, okay, you're all going to be product owners now. Here's the scrum guide. Read up on it. We'll send you to a weekend training. And now you're all product owners. Like, congratulations. <laughs> and then they wonder why they're struggling to be – to be agile, to, 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 to operate with agility mm-hmm. um, because there was no respect for how those people are going to feel having some higher up who probably never talks to them, tell them that as of tomorrow morning, your job title is completely different and therefore your job description is different. So mm-hmm. the strategy needs to account for transformation as part of an investment mm-hmm. that we have to actually – you know, take time and spend money doing transformation. That means we have to deprioritize other things we would have otherwise done. And yeah. so I think the, the biggest trap is where we assume that everyone still has to do all of their usual work. And then also we're going to load on yeah. all this transformation yeah. stuff on top of it. That's, yeah. a, that's a recipe for failure. Uh, I like, I mean, tying back to what we discussed before, it's kind of this deployment of resources acknowledging that big chunk of those resources will go to the transformation itself. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah that's absolutely. It. Yeah. Yeah, you but, don't um, get it for free. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Maybe asking this from, from a different angle, um, for people, let's say, formulating this strategy, besides the resource part, which is for sure that's sure. Uh, already said, do you think there's a difference, I don't want to say the process, but in the way we formulate a strategy in a company, let's say, or transformations are working with the with the old methods versus a, a company that's undergoing the transformation. So let's say that we have 
we acknowledge that there are some resources going to this way, but then on the resources we will, will invest in, in the, let's say, the products or the, the services we are developing. Is there a, a different way of formulating this strategy? I don't think there's a different way in formulating it, but I think that you would come up with a very different resulting strategy based on that, each of those environments, right? So in, in all three cases, you would want to look at what, what your goal is, right? Let's even assume the goal is the same. We want to, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. grow, grow 30% next year or whatever. Like we want to like get into, you know, we're in Europe. We want to get into the American market or, or you know, or mm -hmm. North American market or like, you know, we want to like, we're doing these products. We want to offer a new line of like related products or, or unrelated products. We're going to break into a, a totally new business, whatever that sort of business objective is. Then you would say like, okay, let's decide like how would we even do that? A, a more traditional organization that's not gone through a product kind of minded transformation or so let's say product led or product first um, would, would have, to, have to pick a very different strategy to achieve that, any of those objectives. Like they might have to partner with a smaller company that offers something like that already or acquire them or whatever. But I think that like, so there's different ways that an, the, a more traditional organized company would approach what, what strategy they'd come up with would be different because they have different capabilities and resources and they have different limitations and constraints. I think in the mid, in the mid ground where you're in the middle of the transformation is probably the most delicate and, and difficult time to come up with a strategy. The the product led organization that's already out front, it's relatively easy for them because I think the ideal is at the end of the day you've got high performing cross functional teams that are relatively autonomous and they're committed to either a particular line of business or a particular value stream or following the uh, the team topologies model like they know which part of the organization their team is focused on either a mm -hmm. stream aligned team or a platform team or one of the others. Um, you've sort of already figured that out. You've thought about like how all the different functions in your org coordinate in order to achieve the strategy. So the strategy itself is easier because it's kind of like if your goal is to run a marathon and you're looking at someone who is, you know, has never run in their life and doesn't really exercise <laughs> versus someone who's like, you know, I've been taking yoga the last three months. I've been eating well. I've been trying to get there and, you know. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm halfway to my goal mm -hmm. versus like a professional marathon running athlete. <laughs> you ask them what their strategy is for how they're going to run the marathon. Yeah. You're going to get three very different answers, right? <laughs> so it's sort of equivalent to that. I don't know if that yeah. helps answer your question. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah, uh, maybe the thing I'm considering and, and having gone through these transformations in my life is that um, when you are trying to build these empowered teams, you yeah. are, uh, I mean, the, the strategy start, stops being such a top-down process and it starts yeah. having this back and forth. Uh, but as you said, the first, I mean, if you have these POs or PMs that you transform by just sending them a weekend to a, to a training program, they will not have any results to, to give you any feedback on the strategy. So it's a, the, the transformation period is the hardest one. And, and maybe related to that, one, one thing that I think it's interesting is, let's say you uh, face a company who is undergoing this transformation, this group of product managers, and there is someone leading this product managers. So let's say, I don't know, uh, an ex uh, 
commercial people manager who is transformed now into the head of product or something like that. Um, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I can, yeah, yeah. I've seen those. I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> so how will you coach them into how they should build uh, a product strategy that is getting them closer to this transform and empower teams? Oh, man. Yeah. I love that question. Just because we're in the middle of doing it with about half a dozen organizations right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like, look, there's, there's, there's a couple of fundamental things that I, I, would, I would focus on. One is that um, you have to be patient with your people. Um, this, this is where the, um, the, what we were saying before about having to invest in transformation, this is where the, the rubber meets the road, as it, as it were. That, um, what that What that means practically is that when people come to work, that the the way they do their job is learned over time, and so like we're I mean really we're getting right into like neuroscience and psychology of the brain, right? Like so so we know a lot, fortunately these days, about learning and behavior change. I mean that's something that we really focus on a lot at Startup Patterns. That's why we do mind, our mindful leadership program. The whole idea is that um, how the brain works and how people think really affects their behavior and their behavior affects how they execute certain processes. And then, of course, like what are the results or outcomes from their organization? So I think one important thing is that you have to understand that there's, there's a certain – like when you're having somebody change the way their job works, right? So it's like, oh, well, you used to write the requirements and you developer, you used to just read the requirements and type code. Like mm -hmm. now we're going to change that. We're going to have you work together on a prototype and dialogue all day and do pair programming. That's a radically different way of working than what they're accustomed to, right? So the first thing to look at is you have to look at the history of the company and where people are and how long they've been there and how much of their, their sense of purpose and sense of identity and why they're even at the company is related to how they feel about their job. You know, people have been really good at a particular thing and they get accolades and pats on the back from their colleagues or their boss for being really good at that thing. And then now all of a sudden you're going to tell them that we're no longer doing that thing that you're really good at. Now you have to learn some totally new thing that you've never even heard of. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty and panic that comes from that. And so the, the reason why transformation isn't free, one of the big reasons is that you have to take time to introduce people to new ways of working that I think need to be really empathetic and compassionate with the sheer biological time it takes mm -hmm. for people to learn new ways of working, right? Like first they have to be exposed to it. Like I'm making fun of quick trainings, but the trainings are useful. Definitely. Like going, reading a book, going to a course, attending a workshop. That, that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. Then there's, there's coaching where you would go through a process of, okay, now we're going to try to actually try this stuff at work. And that takes months to years to try to work in a new way, um, particularly if you, you yourself are changing jobs, right? Um, and so there's biological time that it takes for people to develop new skills and to get good at them. And so usually when we decide to change someone's job, the overall throughput of the organization, its ability to ship products and make money will slow down. It will slow down. So I'm going to repeat that for everyone who's listening or watching. When you, ingest, when you invest in transformation, 
you must explicitly decide that you're going to slow things down. You might actually lose a little money to do it. That's why it's yeah. an investment yeah. because you can't possibly keep up the same speed while people are learning new ways of working, right? Yeah. And so I think the more that we can repeat that to executives and senior leaders over and over again, that like, it's going to take a year. Okay. Like just tell the investors or tell wall street analysts, like we're going to take a couple of hits for a few quarters. Bear with us. When we come out the other end, we're going to be much stronger. But I think like nobody really, not enough leaders really take that seriously and express to their people like, Hey, we're going to do a new thing and we know that it's going to slow you down. And also we're going to take some stuff off of your plate. We're going to reduce your, the number of things you're trying to prioritize to give you the brain space to, to try this stuff, to think about it, to make mistakes, to reflect on how you're going to do better next time. Like you have to create space in people's calendars to be able to do that. So that's just all like the people stage. And then this leader that you alluded to and, and, and it's, it's all too often the case that someone who is heading up product uh, or even engineering um, doesn't necessarily have a background in either, you know, one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that isn't necessarily anyone's fault. Like, look, it's really hard to hire experienced <laughs> senior <laughs> product and engineering people. Like, no joke. I understand that. And so sometimes you need someone mm-hmm. who's good enough to take that role for now. Well, that's fine. If they're a good leader, um, if they understand, you know, generally the principles involved, um, you know, they can achieve that role. But then that person needs to be able to admit transparently that they too are trying to learn product management or or engineering or whatever it is. Like that they're basically saying, okay, well, now I'm head of product uh, for now. I'm going to lead us through this transformation. I don't suit, I'm not an expert on products, so I'm going to be learning along with you folks and we're going to all do it together, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think for a leader to have the courage to be humble and have the humility to admit that like they don't actually know necessarily what they're doing either mm-hmm. and that this is going to be a group effort, that is a really powerful message that I think um, sends uh, it sends a signal to all the employees that is going to be highly motivating. And I know that there are leaders out there who believe that if you don't put on a perfect suit and have a show of strength and feel like you always know what you're talking about, that people like get scared or they'll, you know, take uh, take advantage of you or they'll be lazy or slow or whatever. I mean, that's like a theory X uh, and Y from McGregor. Like we're not in a theory X uh, world anymore, right? Like leaders need to be vulnerable. They need to be honest. They need to be transparent. And they need to admit that they're learning along the way. And so what we do, instead of having the leader who always has all the answers, we create structures where it's safe to learn and that we objectively reflect on the data that we're getting as we're trying this new way and what's working and what's not and be able to talk to each other as humans about how we're going to improve and how we're going to support each other. Yeah, That's yeah. the only way that a transformation can work. No, I totally agree. And I think that in I mean, for sure it's important in all disciplines, but especially in product, when you are expecting product managers to raise their hands and say, hey, this is my insights, this is what I learned, this is what I need to... If the product leader, especially for new product managers who has, has just been transformed to this role, kind of they are pushing them or having this, this armor of the superhero, uh, it's particularly different, difficult for product managers to challenge it. So I think it's super, super important. Definitely, um, definitely. 
We have gone through a lot, uh, yeah, so yeah. I will. <laughs> there's a little digest in my brain. Ma many other follow-up questions, but I, I would like to close with one I, I usually make: is uh, what I'm not asking. So, what are some maybe important learning you have uh, through these experiences about, um, yeah, product strategy, product strategy in transformation environments? Something else that may be interesting, and I'm not asking about. I mean, there's a lot of things we could have talked about. We could have had like a three-hour-long conversation. <laughs> exactly, <yeah>. um, <laughs> then we wouldn't get any work done for the rest of the day. <laughs> so I, I think one of the most important things to me in all of this work that we talked about a little bit, but but I would be very explicit, is that it it's really fun to talk about um, external and technical things like technology and customer segments and strategy, those are all things outside of ourself. That's kind of the fun of developing products and building companies. And there's an internal side that we all have. Um, our feelings, our hopes and fears, like the way that we communicate, our cognitive biases, all that stuff that's in the mind that whether we know it or not really fundamentally affects our behavior when we're working with other colleagues at work. And, and as we know, product development is a team sport. Teamwork requires communication and that and requires uh, a level of trust. And so organizations that have not acknowledged that and taken steps to really r respect and foster an environment of, of psychological safety and compassion – um, in the teams and really work on people being able to communicate honestly about what's not going well is really, really um, doing a disservice to your success in all the other things that we, we just talked about, yeah. right? So there's a real connection between how people feel and how they're able to get along with how successful the organization is at the end of the day because the, the best, most high-performing organizations are the ones where everyone – in the organization, knows their role, they understand the purpose of the organization, they're aligned to that purpose, they want to be there, they trust and respect each other, and a lot of the decision-making, the day-to-day -day iteration of what are we going to build and what's going to be the next feature and what does the customer want, that happens actually on the teams. We've got those autonomous, self-organized teams that can kind of be given a goal and some resources and like go figure it out and come back in a couple quarters and, and show us the goods, right? And so... It takes a lot. That's your uh, professional marathon runner from yeah, our yeah, yeah. analogy. It takes a lot to get there. It takes many years of, of devotion and investment to get your organization there. But when it gets there, you'll find that those organizations also have a high degree of good soft skills and mm -hmm. emotional literacy and psychological safety as well. And that's no accident. So that's the only other thing I want to kind of throw in before we close. No, I think it's super important because uh, also, if, I mean, we have been talking about transforming organization, but for existing organizations that are either having new teams or teams changes, even when they are product-led companies, having or reaching this level of trust, this uh, kind of the, the team really performing after some time, you know, the concept of durable teams, that's so important for the performance as well. So it's, uh, it's a very, very important advice as well. Well, that yeah. has been very interesting. Changing gears for a second here, I want to end with uh, two rapid-fire questions. So one question, one phrase answer, very quickly, just to pick your brain about different stuff. Um, so let's say you have a 18-year-old person reaching out to you and saying, hey, I want to land a career in product management. What would you recommend I study? 
what would be your recommendation? Two things. Psychology and statistics. Nice. <laughs> very, very widespread things. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> like it. And the second one is one, uh, we talk about books. Uh, so uh, what would be one unusual book recommendation you will do to one of these product managers transforming into product management? The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Okay, so that's that's it for my questions. Sam, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Any final message you want to give to the audience where they can reach out to you or something like that? Yeah, um, this has been a really fun conversation and I love having conversations like this. And I am very easy to reach on LinkedIn or at startuppatterns.com and I would love for people to reach out and connect with me and, and we can have similar conversations. So um, yeah, we're all in it together. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Great. Thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. This is awesome.